Hey, everybody, another day, another dollar in post-pandemic America. And uh, aside from cryptocurrency, which you've only heard me talk about a thousand times, aside from crypto, I've not found something more exciting in human life or computer science or the internet since this, uh, this chat GPT thing came out from OpenAI. OpenAI, the company that was... Uh, I think Elon Musk was one of the initial investors. So OpenAI seven years ago starts working on both natural language and uh, natural image creation software. And uh, if you're wondering how does it work on the back end, it's like tens of thousands of graphics cards strung together as one neural network pretty much. It actually shares a lot of similarities with cryptocurrency mining because you use similar hardware to spin up one of these uh, language models, as they're called. And this chat GPT, which is the most promising of the language models so far, Microsoft wants to buy it for 10 billion bucks. Open AI, no money, no revenue, right? Out of nowhere, Microsoft says, we'll buy it and license it for $10 billion. And we plan to include it in our, you know, in Bing and Microsoft Word and all this stuff. So uh, clearly this is going to be a big deal when this is in everybody's, you know, Windows. When everybody's Windows laptop has this by default, it's going to change the world. The level of sophistication of this thing blows my mind. So here's what I tweeted out this morning. I said, artificial intelligence is the coolest thing I've come across since crypto. Both will have a big place in our world. I was wrong about chat GPT. What's wrong about it, folks? This thing is a game changer. How it's going to improve, it's going to get, you know, 10 or 100 times better in the years ahead. But it's a total game changer. This is a modern-day genie. Modern-day genie in a bottle. You know, a friend by your side. And I think it will uplift... I think it will lift up the quality of life for the average person out there. Just like how crypto peer-to-peer money... If everybody uses it, it improves the life of the average bloke, right? The average guy out there, if he's using peer-to-peer money, instead of money made up without any sacrifice of energy or time, money made up by a couple of senile bureaucrats, senile old bureaucrats in New York, the Federal Reserve. That's just old technology. It's garbage compared to crypto. In much the same way, you could ask this thing a question, and it's not like a search engine. It's not just sifting through and giving you a result. It's actually coming up with an answer specific to you that may never appear again, right? Because it's based on your own conversational thread with it. So let's, let's start to test it out. Let's ask it some questions. Here's the question I asked it this morning, and I was super, super impressed at how accurate it is. So I saw a tweet about The Sopranos first airing 24 years ago. I thought, my God, has it really been 24 years since The Sopranos first came out? And so I asked it, did The Sopranos really air 24 years ago? And almost immediately, you know, like two seconds later, it spits out this answer. The Sopranos first premiered on HBO on January 10th, 1999, which would make it 24 years ago, as of January 10th, 2023. It ran for six seasons, with the final episode airing on June 10th. 2007. The Sopranos is widely considered one of the greatest television series of all time, 
and it had a big impact on the television industry, being credited as the series that put HBO on the map as a major player in the world of television. Its influence can be seen in many shows that came after it. So you can see it's not sending me to a website. It's not just giving me the answer. It's also giving me some context and some of its own quote-unquote opinions, right? It's making the it's making the judgment or the, the taste decision that The Sopranos had a huge impact on the television industry. It's not grabbing that and copying and pasting it from some blog, right? It's not like some TV critic said, this had a major impact on the television industry, and then it's stealing it. Instead, it's actually come to the conclusion based on, you know, reading through relevant stuff. It's come to the conclusion that The Sopranos was a high-impact TV show. Literal artificial intelligence. Something totally new that people aren't going to be used to for a while. Same as crypto at first. It's like, what? You could have money without the state telling you it's money. You could have money based on demand curve instead of based on legislative monopoly. You could actually have that. Incredible. So happy to take questions from you guys because I know not everybody has an open AI account yet. I'll take your questions and we'll spit. Uh, we'll see what it spits out. Wow. Someone says it costs this AI $3 million a day for the uh, Amazon. Amazon Web Services cost $3 million bucks a day just to run it. It's incredible. Yeah, I mean, they can afford it if Microsoft is offering them $10 billion. I think they can afford that for now. And people will pay for this. If you offered this to me for like 10 bucks a month, I would sign up in a heartbeat. Yeah, OpenAI. Uh, so let's ask questions. All right, is the climate crisis a hoax? Let's ask it. Well, that's, that's a bit of a loaded one. I want to start with something that... It does have filters where it'll start to, you know, like scold you. Many scientists claim that climate change is a real thing or whatever. So let's start with something that's less politically charged, and then we can we can do that one at the end. Other questions? Project Bluebeam. All right, that's another weird kind of thing, but that's conspiracy theory, right? Project Bluebeam is this conspiracy theory. Let's ask it about that. So what is Project Bluebeam? Is it a real thing or just the conspiracy theory? All right, so its answer is already coming up on the screen. It says, Project Bluebeam is a conspiracy theory that suggests the government or some other secretive group is planning to use advanced technology to create a simulated alien invasion or other event in order to control the population. This theory claims that the government is planning to use holographic images and other advanced technologies to create convincing illusions of UFOs, aliens, and other phenomena in order to manipulate the population and control their thoughts and actions. The theory was first proposed by a Canadian conspiracy theorist named Sergei Monast in the 1990s, who wrote a book about the topic. He believed that NASA was planning to use this technology to implement a new world order, a global government controlled by a small group of elite individuals. It's important to note that Project Bluebeam, as described in these theories, 
has no credible evidence to support its existence and is considered by experts to be a conspiracy theory. NASA, the organization central to the theory, has repeatedly denied any involvement in such a project and stated that they are focused on space exploration and scientific research, not on mind control or world domination. It's also worth noting that many of the technologies that would be required to carry out a project like Bluebeam, such as large-scale holographic displays, do not yet exist and are not yet feasible with the current state of technology. In general, it's important to approach conspiracy theories with skepticism and to carefully evaluate the evidence before drawing conclusions. Wow. See, again, it's not just grabbing something off a website. It's not scraping text. It's actually thinking of an answer and then giving it to you in a language that you understand, right, in English. Truly incredible. Absolutely phenomenal, right? That answer is, like, better than better than 99% of people. And it didn't take, you know, an hour to write an email to me and explain Project Bluebeam. It took seconds. That answer took literally seconds. Yeah, isn't that a good answer? Let's come up with some other questions for it. Happy to input other questions for you guys. Yeah, mind-blowing, though. This is like the first few times I read about crypto. And I thought, man, if they don't outlaw this, it's going to change the whole world. In much the same way, if they don't ban people from using AI at work, it's going to change everything. Like earlier this morning, I couldn't come up with a title for my uh, blog post on Substack. So I said, come up with a good title for my post about leaving Substack to write primarily on my paid newsletter, right? Because I'm leaving the free blog to just focus on my paid stuff. And it comes up with this title, Farewell Substack, Hello Exclusive Content, Making the Switch to My Paid Newsletter. I didn't think of that. It thought that. Isn't that incredible? Uh, the, the site where you sign up is chat.openai.com. Uh, chat.openai.com. But when you go there, you might have to hit refresh like 10 or 20 times because it's overloaded at the moment. Thoughts on catastrophic contagion 2025. I'm not sure what that is, but we'll type it in. Thoughts on catastrophic contagion 2025. And so whatever that is, it's a conspiracy theory I've never even heard of. So here we get to see how on top of conspiracy theories it is. All right, so it says, its answer is, I am not able to browse the internet, and I don't have knowledge about any specific predictions or claims about a catastrophic contagion in 2025. However, it's important to be aware that there are always risks of outbreaks or contagious diseases. Contagious diseases, whether they are naturally occurring or man-made. And then it goes on about disease outbreaks. So it doesn't know what that is. Let's ask it about, uh, remember that, that conspiracy theory decades ago, D.B. Cooper, the guy who jumped out of an airplane with, you know, duffel bags of cash, FBI never found him. Let's ask about that. But whatever happened to D.B. Cooper? Did he get away with the money?
right, here's its answer. D.B. Cooper is a pseudonym used for an unidentified man who hijacked a Boeing 727 flying between Portland, Oregon and Seattle, Washington on November 24, 1971. He extorted $200,000 in ransom and then parachuted from the plane, never to be seen again. Despite an extensive manhunt and an ongoing investigation, the identity of the hijacker and the whereabouts of the money have never been determined. The FBI conducted an exhaustive search for the hijacker, following up on thousands of leads and conducting extensive background checks on potential suspects. However, none of the leads have conclusively identified the hijacker or led to the recovery of the ransom money. Over the years, there have been many theories and claims about the identity of D.B. Cooper, and several people have come forward claiming to be the hijacker or to have knowledge of his identity. However, none of these claims have been substantiated and the case remains one of the longest-running and most elusive unsolved crimes in the history of the FBI. There have been some physical evidence that was found after the hijacking, such as the tie clip and some of the ransom money on the bank of the Columbia River, but these pieces of evidence have not been enough to identify the perpetrator. As of today, the case of D.B. Cooper remains unsolved. Isn't that an extraordinary answer from a computer and about two seconds. I mean, the real thing. You're not dealing with the human with emotions. You're dealing with just brute force, brute force logic, sifting through thousands of, you know, text files, and then coming up with an answer that's supposed to feel natural. And that's supposed to seem natural to the end user. Someone says he died in a snowstorm. Yeah, that that's always been my thought on D.B. Cooper is that he either died on the ground or died uh, after, shortly after he jumped out of the plane. It's quite difficult for a civilian who doesn't know much about uh, skydiving to just hop out of a commercial commercial airliner. You know, the altitude and stuff, if it's too high, and if it's moving too fast, uh, it can, you know, it can damage you. The wind can basically rip your limbs off, just about. And he could have hit the, the wing or the fuselage of the plane. But point is, I don't think he survived. I don't think he's walking around to this day. I think he totally just died and is in the woods, you know. His body's in the woods somewhere. That's my guess. Yeah, exactly. Died in a tree or something. If he parachuted down, he would have died in the, the woods quite cold. But who knows? Maybe he got away. At this point, he'd be old and dead anyways, right? That happened back in 1971. There's no way the guy's still walking around. Someone says, I always saw the issue with crypto, not seeing the issues with AI outside of the obvious source. Well, okay. So the issue with crypto, of course, is that a handful of people control the money supply. A literal monopoly. The Federal Reserve was created in 1913 at Jekyll Island, an island off the coast of Georgia. And all these elite satanic families, that's what they are. These elite occult families met down there and said, hey, time for a currency monopoly in the West. And that was the creation of the Fed. You can read a good book about this, A Creature from Jekyll Island. That's the book that everybody cites. Uh, but obviously crypto is a shot across the bow. Because if you can do money by computer code, and if it's actually rare, 
then you don't need a central bank and you don't need a currency monopoly and you don't need a board of governors at the Fed to decide how much money to create this year because the algorithm does it automatically, right? Bitcoin tells you there will exist at max 21 million coins and it tells you every 10 minutes a new mining reward. Every 10 minutes on average, a new mining reward is given out. And that's the money supply. There's no board of governors, etc. So obviously that's a bad thing for the handful of monopoly families that have been riding on that decision ever since, right? The families that created this monopoly They've made a lot of money off of money. So yeah, it's a, a serious problem for the establishment. Now, AI is not so much a problem for the establishment as it is for humanity, right? So you think about the things I asked it earlier today. I asked it to write a couple of newsletters for us and gave it, gave it the basic inputs of information I wanted to put out there. And in seconds, it came up with a well-written newsletter. It's better and friendlier, you know, kind of a friendlier tone than I write naturally, more professional, and it did it in seconds. So that's some copywriter or some contractor who is no longer going to have a job, right? And then you go out to like lawyers. Lawyers are typically well-paid, upper middle class, right? A lot of upward mobility in the legal profession. It's all going to be gone. These first year, you know, people at a law firm who would be doing the writing of cover letters and the writing of initial initial legal briefs and stuff. It's all going to be done by the AI. What about doctors, another high-income field, you know, high-education, high-income field? It's going to be gone. You type in, hey, my left hip hurts, and it goes, oh, I'm not a doctor, but where exactly is it hurting? Is it above your pelvis? Is it below your pelvis? And then it asks you another question and another question. And in a couple of minutes, it's figured out with, you know, a degree of statistical certainty. It's figured out what's wrong with you and then can refer you to the ER or whatever for treatment if necessary. And if not necessary, it can just tell you to get some aspirin or something. True AI. This is not something people are ready for yet. Uh, what about artists? Well, it's, it's Sister Dolly, the image creation AI, also invented by OpenAI. It can create beautiful images based on your prompt in seconds. The other day I asked for I asked for carve carve a Litecoin logo into a mountain range. And I want it to look black and white, high relief, similar to an old Ansel Adams photo. And I wait about, I don't know, five seconds and it gives me several options of of images it made of the Litecoin logo carved into a mountain range and it's in black and white. And if somebody were to look at it, they'd say, hey, that looks like an Ansel Adams photo or an Ansel Adams piece of art. Incredible. So that's something that I would usually have to pay another human for, right? I'd go on Fiverr or something and say, here's some money. We want this for an article we're going to do on Litecoin. We want a good graphic, so try to get this to be by the end of the week. For one thing, instead of waiting a week and paying, you know, paying some money, I paid nothing, or eventually when you have to pay for it, it'll be just pennies. But now that it's in beta, while they're testing it, I paid nothing. It's a better image than, you know, 100 artists out there could have created. And again, in seconds, I can drop it right into my blog post right away. Uh, what else? Teachers. You give a kid an iPad, 
an iPad hooked up to this thing. It can answer any question in the field of science or mathematics faster and more accurate than any human teacher, period. So <laughs> what place is there for an army of teachers to basically be a glorified daycare center for people until they're 18 years old and enter the workforce? What place is there for all those people? They're going to lose their jobs. Maybe not overnight, right? But it's coming. This changes the economy completely. Uh, when you create an image, you own the copyright. That's the other cool thing. When you create an image on OpenAI, the resulting thing is yours to use as you want. Since the OpenAI is not a person, it has no copyright. I'm not suggesting that people should be raised by AI. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying the path that we're now headed on is that teachers are not going to be paid $50,000 a year to babysit some teenagers when literally an iPad with an internet connection and an open AI subscription is going to provide them with more knowledge. And there's a movie, I forget the name of it, but uh, the premise of the movie is some, some kid wakes up and it's like a robot taking care of them and the world has ended pretty much, right? Some apocalyptic scenario, all the people are dead aside from this kid, and the AI is raising the kid, giving it a, you know, a walk through history and teaching it math and English and stuff. And I think that experience, as weird as it is, that's the experience that future children are going to have. And it's not like they're going to be indoctrinated by the AI. It's just going to be their Google, right? The idea of a search engine is going to be some old-fashioned crap. You won't use a search engine and end up on some scammy website to just match some of the keywords you were searching for. You're going to get a real answer in seconds to almost any question. Someone says, the point everybody misses is that we are human and you can't replace the human element. That's very true. It's very true. This is just a tool. Again, this is like brute force intelligence. The same way that email is a tool. If I log into my newsletter... I can send out a newsletter and it'll reach several thousand people with just one click. I don't have to go door to door like Paul Revere, right? I don't have to go on horseback and scream something for hours. I can literally just send out a newsletter and it reaches thousands of people. So that's, that's a tool that humans can make use of and you can use it for bad stuff. You can use it, you know, to spam people or you can use it for good stuff. You can use it to stay in touch with your supporters and your audience. In much the same way, this is like, uh, it's like a car, right? You get into a car, you can, you can move faster than walking, period. And here it's like you start using OpenAI. You can learn more about the world and reach better conclusions than you can as just one human node, right? As one node, you're accessing information that's in front of you and your life experiences inform your decisions. Here, at minimum, this thing will be a second opinion, right? At minimum, if it doesn't take over, you know, the legal profession and medicine and engineering, it's going to totally take over engineering, right? This damn thing, you just tell it what to make and it comes up with it. Uh, so we're at the absolute opening moments of this. It's really hard to sit here and say how it's going to impact us. I just know it's going to impact us. Again, this is a new tool. And if you use it, you're in a sense smarter than people who don't use it, right? 
just in the same way that somebody who only has access to the books in their condo or the books in their house, that person knows less about the world than a person who has access to Google. In much the same way, someone who has AI access is on a different level from someone who does not. Human critical thinking will always be beyond AI simply. But I, I don't agree. That's what I'm saying. Is I, I don't agree that human thought will always be ahead of AI. What I'm showing you guys, or trying to show you, is that already this thing is giving answers better than what the average teacher or the average adult could give somebody. And it's giving it faster, and you don't have to pay it a salary. Transformative. And not all in a good way, because people are going to start to wonder, well, what do we do? And if this thing can solve everything and there's no need for jobs anymore and nobody has an income, then what now? This is a crazy monkey wrench that's been thrown into Western civilization. And not just the West. China's building the same stuff. They're working on the same exact kind of language models. Same AI approach. But let's ask it some questions. Instead of judging it, let's ask some more difficult questions. Um, I came up with one. Let's ask it about Antikythera. Antikythera is one of the topics of my book. So what is the Antikythera... Uh, what was it called? Mechanism, I guess. All right, what is the Antikythera mechanism? It's working on the answer. Uh-oh, maybe we stumped it. It's still working. Still working on it. In the meantime, thank you to everybody who signed up for the newsletter. If you don't yet get it, link will be in description for those who listen on the podcast. Link will be in description. And now's the time to sign up. We've been putting out great content forever. Uh, if you want all of our research by email and other other member benefits, check it out. Oh, uh, maybe it's called the anti antikythera device. Maybe that's why I stumped it. Let's see. To clarify, I mean the antikythera device. Oh enough. Here we go. It took it a while. This is crazy. This is like a pretty random thing I'm asking it about. And it knows exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> Think about this. All right, so again, I asked that what is the Antikythera mechanism? That was one of the topics of my book that I delved into. And it says, the Antikythera mechanism is an ancient mechanical device that was discovered in the early 1900s on the Greek island of Antikythera. The mechanism is believed to have been built around 150 to 100 BCE and is considered to be one of the most important ancient scientific artifacts ever discovered. The device is thought to have been an astronomical calculator, or orrery, a mechanical model of the solar system. It was found to have a complex system of gears and wheels that could be used to predict eclipses, the motions of the planets, and other astronomical phenomena. It was also found to have inscriptions on its various parts, which provide information about the dates and times of eclipses and the positions of celestial bodies. The device was in a heavily corroded state when it was discovered, and the original inscriptions were hard to read, so it took a long time for researchers to fully understand its function and purpose. 
It was not until the 20th century and recent technological advancements, such as X-ray imaging and computer-aided design, that the mechanism could be fully understood and reconstructed. The Antikythera mechanism is considered to be one of the most technologically advanced and sophisticated devices of its time, and it remains one of the greatest archaeological discoveries of the 20th century. It represents a unique physical testimony of the level of technical and scientific knowledge of the Hellenistic civilization. It also demonstrates that ancient Greek scientists were capable of designing and building complex machines and devices for specific scientific, educational, and cultural purposes. Better answer than 99% of humans could give you. Better summary of what Antikythera is than the summary you'll find in my own book. And it came up with this in less than a minute. <laughs> so again, you see the impact here is some teachers losing a job. Some teacher at a, a school or a university, maybe not tomorrow, but in five or 10 years, absolutely. Is this a website? Yeah, it's OpenAI. So chat.openai.com. Any more questions? We'll do one more and then I'm going to head out. Let's think of something good, folks. Come on. Maybe something related to physics or physics or ethics would be good. Let's see if this thing has a heart. Of course, it doesn't. It's just giving you answers based on, you know, statistical modeling. It's so accurate, it blows your mind. Truly uh, innovation. All right, so I'll ask, when did, when did Cal Ripken's career end? He was a ball player. Baseball player. Just a simple question. This is something I would ask on Google, right? This is how it replaces Google. Is I would search for Cal Ripken career and then read his Wikipedia page or something, right? But here it's it's given me a whole little write-up on Cal Ripken. So its response, Cal Ripken Jr.'s career as a baseball player ended on October 6, 2001. He was playing for the Baltimore Orioles at the time, the team he had played with his entire career. Ripken is considered one of the greatest shortstops in the history of the game, and he is best known for his record consecutive games played streak, which lasted which lasted for 2,632 games, a record that stood for over 17 years. Ripken's career was marked by consistency and excellence. He was a two-time American League Most Valuable Player and a 19, 19-time All-Star. He also won two gold gloves eight Silver Slugger Awards, and he was the All-Star Game MVP in 2001. He finished his career with a 276 batting average, 3,184 hits, 431 home runs, 1,695 runs scored. And it goes on for a while. Incredible. Just that level of detail. In a couple of seconds. Ask what blew up the Georgia Guidestones. Uh, okay. What or who destroyed the Georgia Guidestones?
it's giving me an inaccurate answer because it doesn't have uh it has no access to things that happened in 2022 it's cut off is end of 2021 so the text files and stuff that it's accessing it's got no information about last year so its answer is acting as if the georgia guidestones are still still up it says it knows what it is it just doesn't know that they were destroyed so that's interesting I'll, I'll read the answer it gives, even though we know it's not complete, right? Just so people can see. Uh, it says, The Georgia Guidestones is a granite monument erected in 1980 in Elbert County, Georgia, USA. The monument consists of four large standing stones with an additional capstone and an inscribed tablet on each stone. The monument has faced vandalism and acts of defacement over the years, but it is still standing. One of the most notable incidents of vandalism occurred in June 2014 when someone used a drilling machine to carve a series of holes into one of the stones, rendering it unreadable. The Elbert County Sheriff's Office launched an investigation, but the vandal was never identified and the monument was repaired. Another incident of vandalism occurred in 2019 when graffiti was written on the monument in red paint with slogans such as, Fuck the New World Order. It's worth noting that over the years, the monument has also been a source of conspiracy theories and controversies due to the inscriptions on its stones, which include instructions in several languages on how to maintain a sustainable civilization. Let's ask it, what are the main beliefs? What are the main beliefs of Freemasonry? How about Illuminism? And then I got to head out, but just wanted to show you guys, this is, this is wild. Everybody should sign up and play with this while it's still free. If you can get in, like I said, it's somewhere. If you get a, uh, overloaded message, just keep hitting refresh. It took us like 10 or 12 times this morning, but you eventually get into it. All right, it says the basic principles of Freemasonry promote the brotherhood of man under the fatherhood of a supreme being and the belief that each individual has a responsibility to make a positive impact in the world. They encourage their members to practice the golden rule, to be honest and upright in their dealings with others, and to respect the rights and opinions of others. They also promote public charity and community service, and many lodges contribute to a wide range of charitable causes such as children's hospitals, education, and disaster relief. Illuminism is a term used to describe the beliefs of an 18th century intellectual movement, the most prominent organization of which was the Bavarian Illuminati, led by Adam Weishaupt. Or Weishaupt. They had a particular focus on the education and empowerment of women, the abolition of prejudice, and the application of reason. They sought to promote a world where all individuals had the freedom to think and express themselves as they saw fit, free from the control of religious institutions and government. However, the Illuminati as an, however, the Illuminati as an organization was short-lived. It was banned and suppressed by the Bavarian government. Nevertheless, the ideas and ideals of the Illuminati continue to be influential today, particularly in the fields of politics and social justice. Wow. Pretty, uh, pretty good answer. 
So I'll do a follow-up. Is it true that most of the founding fathers were members of either group? Right. Is it true that most founding fathers were either Masons or Voluminous? All right. Its answer is, it is true that many of the founding fathers of the United States, including George Washington, Benjamin Franklin, and Paul Revere, were members of Masonic lodges. Freemasonry was a popular organization in the late 1700s and early 1800s, and many prominent political and civic leaders of the time were members. The organization was thought to promote values such as integrity, charity, and fraternity, and many of the principles espoused by the Masons aligned with the ideals of the American Revolution. And then it goes on, however, it is not true that most of the founding fathers were members of the Illuminati, as the Illuminati was a secret society that had been banned by the Bavarian government in 1785, prior to the American Revolution and it was not active in the United States at that time. Also, the organization's teachings and aims are different from that of Freemasonry, although there are some superficial similarities between both. It is true that there were some individuals in the United States at the time who believed in some of the ideals espoused by the Illuminati, but they were not formally members of that organization. Illuminism ideas and ideals were not as widespread as Freemasonry and there is no evidence that any of the Founding Fathers were members of the Illuminati. Let's ask it about Rosicrucians. What do Rosicrucians believe? And that will be done. It's just this is, this is investigative journalism right here, right? Testing out how smart is this thing. So its answer is, the Rosicrucians are a spiritual and philosophical movement that traces its origins to the early 17th century with the publication of several texts known as Fama Fraternita, Fama Fraternitas and the Confessio Fraternitas. These texts described a secret brotherhood of alchemists and sages who were said to possess ancient wisdom and spiritual insights that could bring about a spiritual awakening and a new era of enlightenment for humanity. The Rosencrucian uh, beliefs include the belief in the divine spark of the human being that every human being has the ability to connect with the divine and to discover the inner wisdom and spiritual truths of the universe. They believe in the existence of ancient wisdom and knowledge that has been passed down through the ages, and that this knowledge can be used to improve oneself and the world around them. They promote the understanding and use of hermetic principles, the study and application of alchemy and the use of meditation and other spiritual practices to achieve inner transformation and spiritual development. They also promote a holistic approach to health and wellness. I'm going to skim down a little bit, just skip around here because it's a long response. It says, Rosicrucians also believe in the idea of the cosmic Christ, a spiritual entity that represents the embodiment of divine wisdom and love, and that it is possible to have a direct experience of the cosmic Christ through spiritual practice and inner transformation. So it, it definitely knew what I was asking and gave me a totally, you know, relevant response. What's in Area 51? All right, we'll do that, I guess. What's in Area 51? Are there aliens? Then I got to head out, but you can see how addictive this is. See, it's kind of addicting to ask this genie whatever you want.
So it says, Area 51 is a highly restricted and heavily guarded United States Air Force testing and training facility. Look at how fast it comes up with the answer for people who are watching. Look at that. Isn't that incredible? Look at how fast it types it. All right. So again, it says it's a highly restricted and heavily guarded United States Air Force testing and training facility located in the Nevada desert. Base's official purpose and activities that take place there have been a matter of speculation and debate for many years. The U.S. government did not officially acknowledge the existence of the base until 2013 when it was officially recognized in response to a Freedom of Information Act request. The U.S. government stated the base is used for the testing and development of aircraft and weapon systems. However, due to the high level of secrecy surrounding the base, and the fact that it has been the subject of numerous conspiracy theories and speculation, it is not possible to confirm what exactly is taking place at Area 51. Some of the theories that circulate about the base include claims that it is a secret testing ground for advanced aircraft and weapons, that it is a research center for alien technology, and that it serves as a holding area for captured extraterrestrial life forms. It is important to note that there is no credible evidence to support these claims, and they remain unproven theories. The base is closed to the public and access is strictly controlled. The base is heavily guarded and surrounded by a no-fly zone, so it's not possible for outsiders to get a glimpse of what is happening inside. Still, relevant, thorough response in seconds, better than most humans could give. So that's it, everybody. Again, if you're listening on the podcast, link in description, get the newsletter. And that's it. You're listening to Fulcrum News, real news from America and around the world. Fulcrumnews.com slash subscribe to get our premium membership and updates via email.